to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight, after doing a series of special episodes regarding the commemorations and feasts we've had the last few weeks, we're back on the normal reading schedule for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. Church year is winding down. We only have a couple of these left before the church year starts over. The end is near. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, or the end is nigh, as you know, if you want to get kind of old-fashioned about it. The end is nigh. Yeah, right. and, and the readings reflect that. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. They reflect the end of the church year. You get the readings that have to do with the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. kind of, you know, the, the clouds of judgment gather and all that stuff. Yep. So it's a yep, very right. serious time, so quit smiling. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it, I mean, it, that's kind of funny, but I mean, we, we have so much to be joyful about, we can't help but smile, even in the face of impending doom, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So uh, the reading for this evening is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. You want to start us off there, Pastor? I can, I can do that. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Great. Thank you, Pastor. Welcome. So just a few like historical contextual things going on here. Um, Perhaps first and foremost, I think it's hard to grasp exactly the magnitude of the debt being discussed without somehow translating this into more modern terms. So uh, perhaps we can start there. What what would this sort of debt look like, both on the servant and uh, the debt the servant owed to the master? Right. So you, you've you've got what is it, ten thousand talents? Which um, so a talent is a unit of measure, like a weight. You can think of it that way. I mean, <clears throat> and you still hear every day if you listen to the news and the business reports, they talk about the price of gold per ounce and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
So a talent was was a weight, which so he owes him ten thousand of these, which are fairly fair amount of weight to the point that if you put it into a day's wages, it's two hundred thousand years. Oh my word! Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> it's 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 two hundred thousand years. That's a, a lot of debt. That's a lot of debt. A denarius, on the other hand, one denarius is a day's wage. Okay. Give or take. So, you know, like 60 or $70, you know, like what a laborer would, you know, work in a factory. I don't know what they make today. But, you know, in that range, a, a day's wage for a worker. Okay. So 100 denarii is basically three and a bit months worth of work. Okay. As compared to 200,000 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's it's almost absurd to even postulate that amount of money in a debt. Because like, what what could you even conceivably purchase for 200,000 years worth of wages, right? It, it's sm- an insane amount of money. A small country? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, and it is, and, and I think we lose, we lose the the weight, poor word choice, of of what Jesus is saying because we don't know what he's talking about, and and the other problem is you really can't translate these into, into today's dollars and put it in a Bible because ten years from now it's changed, right? Right, right, exactly. So I like the idea of a day's a day's wage. Yeah, that, that's just standard. Like this is worth a day of your life. Right. Or a hundred days or 200,000 years. Right. Right. And so, yeah, let's talk about these values because I think there's an interesting teaching going on here apart from what we might consider to be the main point of the parable. So like, obviously when we read this, the first thing that comes to mind and rightfully so is like the importance of forgiving your neighbor just as God forgives us. But perhaps there's another teaching buried here just when dealing with these uh, crazy amounts of debt. It seems like that the parable is also teaching something about the seriousness of sin here because 200,000 years of wages is obviously a debt that can't be repaid. You're, you're stuck. Yeah. You're stuck. Like you, you, you've you you, what is the modern phrase? You, you've hit a wall. Right. Like it, it's just insurmountable. It's unrealistic. It's impossible. Whatever word you want to throw at it. That's the idea. Right. Right. It would, it would take hundreds of lifetimes to pay off something like that. And Thousands. so, um, yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, this seems to be teaching something about the seriousness of our sin uh, as it pertains to God in particular. Uh, we owe a debt to God that we could never possibly repay, just like the servant in the parable, yeah, it seems. So that verse, 20, verse 23, you know, it, it, it says um, in the middle of the page in the second paragraph, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Well, the first one comes in and, and he literally cannot pay it ever. Mm-hmm. And right. that you're absolutely right. Well, that that's the debt that we owe to God. Right. We can't, right. we can't repay it. And so, and also by comparison, uh, maybe it's also teaching us something about how, when people sin against us, how we ought to see that in light of what God has already done for us. Like, obviously people can sin against us in fairly serious ways. Um, but the sort of sin debt that we have 
against God uh, is so much greater than the sort of debt that people could incur against us when they sin against us. Right. Right. Because of the difference in relationship. Right. Right. So, and, and, and then you get the, the comments um, like by Joseph when, when Potter's wife wants to uh, sleep with him, he said, you know, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So ultimately all the sins which we commit against an, another are ultimately sins against God. Right. You have that idea behind it too, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. So everything I do bad towards someone is ultimately a sin against God. That's true. And and what I might do to someone or what someone might do to me is nothing compared to the way that I've sinned against God. Right. That's the whole right. idea. Right. That, that yeah. And, th- yeah, and this is difficult for us to, like, internalize sometimes because especially when someone seriously wrongs us, like, we know how hard it is to forgive our neighbor when we're seriously wronged it is. and we we've likely seen people in our life that hold grudges and refuse that sort of forgiveness and um it's important to keep in mind the magnitude of the debt that has been forgiven on our account when we start to think about these serious sins against us uh because i think that helps to kind of put it into perspective right right and any sins against us are just minuscule in comparison with our sins against God mm-hmm. and, you know, minuscule to the extreme. It, it, we don't, because of our, because of the language barrier here, we don't really get how ludicrous Jesus is being here. Yeah. Like yeah. you have to think about it. A, a, a few months worth of someone's working life or a quarter million years, you know, almost. Right. right? But this is what's hard when you're talking with people outside of Christianity, because I think they, from the outside looking in, it seems like God is unjust or cruel or something like that for condemning people who have, quote, lived a good life, even though they're not Christian. Like people people will say this all the time, like, yeah, he wasn't Christian, but he lived a good life. And um, they say that as almost like some sort of justification that um, they've like earned their way to salvation. Right. And so if someone's lived a good life by earthly standards— People see it as unjust or cruel of God to con- condemn them to hell um, for whatever reason, right? And so that's why this sort of parable seems so important, is to realize the sort of effect that sin has on our life and the sort of separation it does create between us and God. Because I think if we kind of go by these worldly standards, um, we're kind of sucked into that same sort of mentality. We we can go down that path, and but it's also important for all of us Christian people to appreciate and give thanks for those who are civilly righteous. Mm-hmm. Maybe a firefighter who who saves your house and family's life. Right. Maybe they're maybe they're not Christian. Right. But you you thank God for for God working through them right. in the in that civil realm. So it's I mean the best surgeon in town may, may not be a God fearer. Okay. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we thank God for their skills. Uh, in, right. in the operating room. So we as Christian people need to appreciate um, people who do good things civilly, whether they're Christian or not Christian. Certainly. And it's also not up to us to judge an individual as to where they will spend eternity. That's not our job. Right. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it is easy to fall into that trap of thinking, well, they're a good person. They'll be okay. God will love them. And, well, God does love them. Mm-hmm. God sent his son for them. And, and, and Jesus gets 
right to the point where, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Mm-hmm. And understanding that, that his death is for all people, well, the door is open for all people. He paid right. the price for all people. It's just we don't want to, we as human beings, so many of us don't want to play the game according to God's rules. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. by nature, we want to fix it ourselves, right? Right, right. Yeah. And that, and that, this parable shows us that, well, you can't. Right, right. And we, and it's also just part of human nature to downplay our own sins and inadequacies, right? And kind of shrug them off like it's no big deal. And so when people see someone who's civilly righteous and they'll say, what, he's condemned for the sin of unbelief. But when you start to think about like what the sin of unbelief is, like you're kind of denying the creator, God and king of the universe, <laughs> his rightful place. And when you start to actually unpack these things, it's easy to see how they're more serious, right? They're but, ex- yeah, and the consequences of them. It is yes. extremely serious. You like you say, you're you're telling the creator of all and the savior of all and the sanctifier of all that you you want nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Denying God. Right. And that's why we talk about the, you know, the all sins and blasphemies will be forgiven men except the sin against the Holy Spirit. Right. Because yeah. then you're preventing God from working in your life. Now, this is a good segue because I think the most confusing part of this passage for most people is going to be verse 35, the very end, uh, where he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, on the surface, this seems to make salvation conditional upon some sort of good work, namely forgiveness. Right. So this seems to be saying that unless we forgive our neighbor, uh, the doors of salvation are closed to us. Yeah. And you just kind of have to flip it on its head um, and say, if we're not forgiving, it's probably because we don't appreciate forgiveness. Mm. Right. That it, the Eastern mind is a little bit different than ours and, and, word pattern and word placement in a sentence is different. And we, we Westerners tend to think that everybody thinks the way we do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and sometimes we have to kind of suspend our normal way of thinking chronologically or uh, step after step after step. Right. And put ourselves in, in, into maybe the mindset that's a little bit different where they just simply don't explain things the way we explain things. Right. And and this is part of it. So I think we have to think about cause and effect. If if we are forgiven a huge debt, like $200,000 years worth of debt, well, <clears throat> naturally, we're not going to care if somebody owes us a few months worth of debt. Mm-hmm. And if we're not forgiving, well, that means that we're not appreciating or receiving that gift. I see. So you're saying that uh, a failure on our part to forgive someone else indicates some sort of like deeper spiritual trouble, it seems. Yeah, we're not appreciating what God has done has done for us. Yeah. Our our yeah. hearts are our hearts are hard. Right. And 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 that that's the problem here. If we're not willing I mean, if we've been given so much and then we're not willing to share a morsel. Right, it's like it's like going to a to an all you can eat buffet, 
and and they allow you to take some takeout after you're done. Okay, so you gorge yourself for a couple hours. You're bloated. You walk out the door and there's a guy who's starving to death, but you're carrying a bag of takeout because, you know, it was a weird buffet to let you take some home. <laughs> they don't exist. I've tried. And, and, and you look at the guy and, and he says, do you have some food to spare? And you go, no. Like, right. come on. Like, it's just. Right. Yeah, it, no. It, we don't appreciate it. We're, we're not appreciating what God has given us. That demonstrates itself in how we treat others. That's right. And and so would you say that that sort of attitude, like it's enough to condemn someone then, it seems, based on well, verse 35? It's, it's more than just an attitude. It's, it's basically being unrepentant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. This is kind of what I wanted to get at. So like you mentioned earlier that the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is unbelief right faithlessness yeah yeah all the others can be forgiven except that one because when you reject the holy spirit you reject forgiveness for all the other ones right so i think people take that idea and run with it and they have a hard time reconciling that with verse 35 because um people think to themselves okay uh if that's the case why does verse 35 seem to say that my sins aren't going to be forgiven unless i forgive my brother's sins yeah. And so like I guess the question is like what makes unforgiveness uh the sort of sin that like would have an effect on your salvation compared to maybe other sins that we would normally think and about. And I think we're looking we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. If we have received in that wonderful gift of forgiveness, then the same Holy Spirit who enables us to receive that gift moves us to be forgiving. Mm. And if we're not moved to be forgiving, it's because we're unrepentant and unfaithful. So it's it's a fruit of a bad tree, as it were. I see. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of... Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. It, it, being forgiven causes you to be forgiving. That's the way to look at it. Being forgiving shows that you've been forgiven. So if you're not forgiving... Well, then obviously you're not forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, well, then you're not forgiven. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. And and that's what I mean about an, an, an Eastern mind and a Western mind. It, it, you got to think a little bit like Yoda and, and mess up the word order. <laughs> it's uh, confusing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that, and that's the point of it. There, you know, Jesus is saying, well, you know, if you're not forgiving other people, that, that means that you don't have forgiveness yourself. Right. Right. That's the point, I think. And so this this is kind of like the same sort of sentiment that we see in James, I think, chapter two, the verse that so many uh, Protestants seem to struggle with about um, we see that we're justified not no. by faith alone, but yeah, but by works, right? You show me your and faith, that, I'll show you my works. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the same sort of sentiment it's, it's, uh, it's teaching there, is that is. the evidence of our justification is through our works. Do you want to look at the spread as him and then jump back to the end of the Lord's prayer? Yeah, sure. Sure. Let's we can be a little bit out of order here. So in, in, in our hymnal, hymn 555, salvation unto us has come written by uh, Paulus Sporatus a long time ago. Verse nine out of 10, faith clings to Jesus cross alone and rests in him unceasing. 
and by its fruits true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify. Works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. Mm. That's one of those stanzas of a hymn you should have memorized. Yeah. Because you know that the proof that faith is living, okay? Right. It's proof to us and it's proof to our neighbors that we have faith. So if we're not forgiving, then obviously we're not forgiven. And if we're not forgiven, then our Heavenly Father isn't forgiving us. Right, right. Okay. Be a little backwards about it, but okay. No, so that, that makes good sense. So it's not that somehow there's something about the deed of not forgiving someone that's unforgivable. It's more that if you don't forgive your brother, it's an indication that you don't have a living faith and that you're not forgiven. Because yeah. if you were forgiven and had that faith, that would manifest itself in the works of forgiving others. Right. Right. So the cause and effect. If you're forgiven, you forgive. Right. If you're not forgiving others, that's because you're not forgiven. Right. You're, and you're not right. forgiven because you're unrepentant. Right. So you can also look at these words of Jesus as, as being a little bit of law. Oh, definitely. Right? Yeah. I mean, think yeah. of it that way. Don't just think, oh, do I have to? No. Keep in mind, this is, this is a law statement. He's telling you the condition. No if question. You're, if, you're, if you're in faith, then you are forgiven and forgiving. It's just right. a natural outgrowth. Right. It's important we understand these things correctly because Jesus makes statements like this pretty frequently. I think I think you had another verse that I did. said basically the same thing, right? I, I do. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Now, now remember the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses or, or, or debts. Mm-hmm. And then this is right that close the prayer where it's no longer direct address to God. It's Jesus talking to the people around him, disciples. Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And that sounds like our forgiveness is based on our forgiving others. Right. But again, it's just the reality. If you've been forgiven and have faith in Christ, this is what you'll do. You'll forgive others. Right. Well, you you mentioned this comes right after the Lord's Prayer. In some ways, and I I don't think it necessarily means this, but um, in some ways, the Lord's Prayer itself almost seems like we're making our forgiveness conditional. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah. And so like it. That could be understood as, you know, forgive us insofar as we're willing to forgive other people. Yeah. Uh, there's other the, ways to read that. Yeah. And the Greek word there is as or like. Um, so yeah. it's just one of those weird statements where we think in a little different way. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, you know, we forgive us our trespasses. Gee, God, just, just like we forgive those around us because you've forgiven us so much. Right. You know, that, that's, that's what we have to read into that and bring to that, knowing that we can't save ourselves by what we do. Mm-hmm. We could be the most forgiving person in the world, but that's not going to earn us forgiveness. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. okay. So um, for our reading for tonight, uh, we have a section from Luther on this Matthew 6 verse. 
that I think right. helps to kind of bring home everything we've been talking about so far yeah, tonight. So, so let's just read that again. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Which, to our mind, sounds like cause effect is, if I'm forgiving, I'll be forgiven. Right. But Luther has some good words to say on this. Yes, he does. So Luther writes, But how is it that by these words he establishes such a close connection between forgiveness and our own works when he says, if you forgive your neighbor, you will be forgiven, and vice versa. That does not seem to make forgiveness dependent upon faith. Answer. As I have often said elsewhere, the forgiveness of sins take place in two ways. First, inwardly, through the gospel and the word of God, which is received by faith in the heart toward God. Second, outwardly through works, about which Second Peter 1.10 says, in its instructions regarding good works, Dear brethren, be zealous to confirm your calling and election. He means to say that we should confirm our possession of faith and the forgiveness of sins by showing our works, making the tree manifest by means of its fruit, and making it evident that this is a sound tree and not a bad one, as it says in Matthew seven seventeen. Where there is genuine faith, their good works will certainly follow too. In this way, a man is pious and upright, both inwardly and outwardly, both before God and before men. For this follows as the fruit by which I assure myself and others that I have a genuine faith. This is the only way I can know or see this. In this passage, similarly, the outward forgiveness that I show in my deeds is a sure sign that I have the forgiveness of sin in the sight of God. On the other hand, if I do not show this in my relations with my neighbor, I have a sure sign that I do not have the forgiveness of sin in the sight of God, but am still stuck in my unbelief. You see, this is twofold forgiveness, one inward in the heart, clinging only to the word of God, and one outward, breaking forth and assuring us that we have the inward one. This is how we distinguish works as outward righteousness from faith as inward righteousness, but in such a way that the inward has precedence as the stem and root from which the good works must grow as fruit. Outward righteousness, however, is the witness of this, and as Peter says, it's certification an assurance that the other is really present. Whoever lacks the inward righteousness does not do any of the outward works. On the other hand, where the outward signs and proofs are lacking, I cannot be sure of the inward, but I am deceiving both myself and others. But if I look and find myself gladly forgiving my neighbor, then I can draw this conclusion and say, I am not doing this work naturally, but by the grace of God, I feel different from the way I used to be. Yeah, I think That's he great. really straighten, he straightens it out really well. What happens inside affects what happens outside. Right. That's it. You're forgiven. You then forgive. Right. So I, I like this distinction he makes between these two different like kinds of righteousness. And this almost goes back to what we were talking about. Uh, it was either last week or two weeks ago with inherent and um, imputed righteousness. We talked about that. Right. It, so, it's kind of a similar distinction there. There is. And then James is the one who talks about, you know, you, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And that's what yeah. Luther's talking about, isn't it? That, you know, you can have faith. Well, that's nice. But what's that mean to those around you? Right. And right. and so we talk about that civil righteousness and, and unbelievers can be civilly righteous. Mm-hmm. Christians really should be civilly righteous too. Mm-hmm. 
it doesn't mean that saves us, but it's a fruit of, of having saving faith. Right. I, I think people are hesitant to latch on to this teaching because um, I think people are worried about like judging other people by their outward signs of their faith. So like we, we have this tendency and perhaps rightly so to not want to judge anyone, uh, especially like their state of their salvation. Right. Right. We, 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 sh- we should never say definitively whether someone is or is not saved. Uh, like only God knows that. Right. Um, so I, I think people kind of take that to the extreme and say, we can't say anything about someone's uh, the state of someone's faith by their outward works. And we just kind of refrain from making those sorts of judgments altogether and even apply that to ourselves to the point where we say um, my works are irrelevant from my inner life of faith, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's where this wonderful hymn really, really does a good job. Faith clings to Jesus cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify. Works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. Mm. So what we should probably learn to do as Christian people is acknowledge when people do good works and leave it at that. I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just a, it's a nice pious thought, and I can hear my wife if she's with us this evening, just shaking her head and laughing. <laughs> you know, yes, listen, listen, preacher, listen to what you're saying, because yeah. I mean, we all grumble, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We complain about other people. We grumble. We're never satisfied. We always want more. But we should learn to cul- inculcate this this behavior in our lives, where we simply say, "Oh, look at what look look at that good thing someone did. That that must have grown out of their faith." Right. But applying this to ourselves, I, I think the tension here is that on one side of the spectrum, we want to have full assurance of our salvation despite any sin that we might commit. And so that that's kind of like one aspect. And then on the other side, we have this warning that uh, good works are this necessary fruit that has to grow out of faith. And I think there is a warning here that if you're not producing the fruit, like if you're harboring these grudges or not forgiving, then your salvation seems to be in question. Right. You could be, you could be spiritually in trouble for sure. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think that's people tend to take this parable. I, I looked at several different like commentaries and how people interpreted this parable before we logged on tonight. And um, some of them seem to downplay this first 35 element and just say, I'll, like Jesus is making extreme remarks to demonstrate the importance of forgiveness. And they tend to want to like divorce what Jesus said about needing to forgive your brother as somehow affecting your faith in any way whatsoever. And so I think that's the other kind of temptation people fall into is that um, perhaps we look at this parable as like hyperbole. Um, and just kind of making Jesus making an extreme statement just to kind of get the point across. Yeah, the problem and, is he he is making an an, ex, an extreme statement in the comparison. Yes, right. So this one fellow hundred days worth of labor, the other fellow two hundred thousand years. So it is extreme, right? But I think he's demonstrating that we've been forgiven so much 
first off, how dare we not forgive our brother? Right. And and then secondly, well, the Holy Spirit's going to work in your heart to be forgiving. Right, exactly. So if both those are missing, like if you're not doing it, then you are in spiritual trouble. Yes. Yeah, the, the hyperbole in the extreme statement isn't in verse 35, in other words. It's it's Correct. the crazy comparison between the yeah, two make magnitudes the point. of debt. Yeah. And so that that's why I like what Luther has to say here, is that it takes verse 35 seriously without doing damage to our doctrine of uh, faith alone. Right. Yeah, justification he, by grace through faith. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, we are saved by, by our faith, our trust in Christ. But again, the same Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts moves us to do good works. Right. And if and if there's and if there's no good works in your life and no you know prayers for others or forgiveness of others, well then you know that shows that you're you're a, you know at some level unrepentant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is, isn't that you know we, we um the the whole idea of being repentant is wanting to do what God wants you to do. Right. And here exactly. Jesus telling you forgive as you've been forgiven right and and this is kind of the line we have to walk on one side being so certain of our salvation that we never take a moment to examine our works and see if we're bearing the fruit that uh scripture says that we will if we have the true faith and then on the other end like over scrutinizing and say oh i didn't do this specific good work in this context does that mean like my salvation is in peril Right. And and if anybody ever asked that question, then my answer is, well, no, you're concerned about it still. <laughs> right. If you, if, uh, yeah, if, you're, yeah. if, if you weren't concerned about it, then I'd be in trouble. Then, then right. I'd be worried that you're in trouble. Right. And, and that's the whole thing. We, trying to not be legalistic about any of this so that we focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because you can sit around and critique your behavior and look at, well, was I forgiving? Did I do this? We can fall into the legalistic trap very easily. Mm-hmm. And and I'll just caution you: don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Rest rest in Christ and watch how He works through you. Right. Yeah. That's that's good that's, advice. Yeah, God doesn't want us to be worried, and 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 I use the phrase guardedly. He doesn't want us to be neurotic about our our faith and our our walk of faith. Mm-hmm. He wants us to you know come unto Him and take our yoke upon Him. Right. 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 Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He doesn't want to weigh us down with, oh, well, you didn't forgive that. He's not up there, you know, looking to zap us. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. he's not He's not saying, oh, well, I'm going to get them for that. Well, no, the Heavenly Father got, got the eternal son for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. When he died on the cross, he took the full weight, punishment, and burden of our sins upon himself so we can relax in him. And rejoice that when we have faith, when we are repentant, when we're part of that circle of the redeemed, then we do forgive willingly and, and freely. Right. A lesson right. for all of us, right? Indeed. Okay. Yep. All right, good. Do you want to wrap it up? Any, uh, yeah, any other closing remarks before we finish with prayer tonight? No, just that these are, these are, these parables, they, they really, you know, he's such a good teacher. Jesus is like the, the, the perfect teacher. If you stop and think about these parables and really pray about them and pour over them, there's there's such treasure there. And again, here tonight, that, that parable gives us a, a wonderful direction and comfort, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. Okay. Do you have a collect for us this evening? Yes, I do. Okay, then we can pray. 
O Almighty Eternal God, we confess that we are poor sinners and cannot answer one sin of a thousand. When you contend with us, but with all our hearts we thank you that you have taken all our guilt from us and laid it upon your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and made him to atone for it. We pray you graciously to sustain us in faith, and so to govern us by your Holy Spirit, that we may live according to your will in neighborly love, service, and helpfulness, and not give way to wrath or revenge, but we may not incur your wrath, but always find in you a gracious Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.